Good morning, good morning. So good to be with you and wonderful to hear your, your voices joining together in those beautiful songs. Um, today we begin our new series on the atonement uh, entitled Why the Cross? And uh, a lot of people struggle with uh, the cross. They ask questions like, is God a bit sadistic? If, if he's so powerful, why, why did he need to do that? Couldn't he just say, you're forgiven and be done with it? Tim Mackey of the Bible Project tells a great story about the atonement. And it's something like this. Say you and I go out for lunch and we obviously have a great time. Why wouldn't we? Um, we have delicious food. Your choice of uh, your choice of a beautiful selection of beverages and, and your favourite local artist comes and performs while we eat. And then the waiter comes to our table and gives us the bill. And I reach for my wallet only to find, whoops, I've, I've left it at home. Uh, in fact, my, my watch and my phone are home too, so I can't use tap and go. Um, and so I've got no way of paying for lunch. And so you being the the lovely person that you are, you say, it's okay, Brad, I forgive you. Well, the waiter returns and brings the FPOS terminal, and so I sort of explain, I've left my wallet home, I've got no way to pay. And then you chime up and, and let him know, it's okay, I've forgiven Brad. Well, the waiter says, that's all very well and good, but uh, the bill still needs to be paid. There's a debt here. So, see, you can say that I'm forgiven, but there's a debt that still remains. My debt needs to be covered. It needs to be paid. needs to be dealt with. And so what Jesus achieved on the cross was like him stepping in to pay the bill. Now, there are many, many different theories of atonement that people have put forward to sort of describe how Jesus' life, death, resurrection actually save us. How does it deal with our sin and our broken relationship with God? And so our series, Why the Cross, is looking at what Jesus has done to atone, to make right um, what has gone wrong. So atonement is a word that the Bible uses to speak of putting uh, things to right. And a simple way to think about it is the word atone can be separated into at one or at one meant for atonement. Um, It's about what Jesus has done to make us at one again, reconciled with God. Now, of all of the theories of atonement, it's likely that the one that you'd be most familiar with would be the penal substitutionary view of the atonement. Even if you didn't know that that was the name for it, um, I'll give it to you in brief. We'll look at it further down the series. So you're in a courtroom being charged with a crime and the judge makes his ruling... Guilty. For this crime, you must pay this big fine, whatever amount it is, or go to jail. And the fine is well beyond your reach. But then the judge gets up from the bench, removes his wig and robe, and he steps into your place. And he pays the full amount of the fine. Incredible. The judge has paid for, has covered over, has dealt with the charge against you. Justice is maintained because the penalty has been paid. 
But now, you, because a substitute stood in for you, you can go free. So with penal substitutionary atonement, the the penal part relates to punishment for crime. Uh, The penalty for sin is actually disconnection from God. And God is the source of life. And so if we're not plugged into or connected to the source of life, then what have we got? Death. If we're not plugged into life, all we're left with is nothing. And substitution relates to someone stepping into our place and bearing the penalty on our behalf. Justice is maintained, but we don't pay the cost ourselves. The penal substitutionary theory of atonement in isolation doesn't actually paint the full picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus paying for our debt is absolutely central um, for making us right with God, but it wasn't just that. So most of the theories of atonement have, have a bunch of biblical evidence for them. And they can actually help us to see what Jesus has done for us in a, a deeper, more full uh, picture. So leading up to Easter, we're going to have a look at various theories of atonement. And the point of this series is not sort of pitting one theory up against another and choosing the best but getting that fuller picture, viewing it from all the different angles to see the goodness and glory of God in Jesus by looking at these different theories, these different facets, these different angles on the meaning of the cross. Now, today is the moral influence theory, and I'm a bit of a fan. It's actually a good and helpful model that gets some things right. It certainly does not give a complete picture on its own, but it really does get some things right. So to sort of try and summarise this one, uh, before Christ came, humans were not in a right relationship with God because all human examples to, point to that point were tainted by sin. And so we needed a perfect example. And Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. And he demonstrated the perfect sacrificial love of God for us on the cross. By looking at his perfect sacrifice and seeing the great depths of Jesus' love for us, an awakening occurs in us. We start to see our true value, the way that God sees us. And we have this responsive love awakened in us. So then we can start to live our own lives in that same sort of sacrificial loving way. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, You have to bear with me on this one. It's not politically correct, um, but it's a helpful illustration uh, from a different time, a different place, a different culture. So this story is apparently from the Polynesian Islands, and it's called Johnny Lingo and His Ten Cow Wife. Um, Right, so on the islands, they had a dowry system where if a man wanted to marry a young lady, he would have to pay her family. And usually it would be two or three cows. But if a man really, really wanted a particular young lady, he might even pay up to four cows. Well, Johnny Lingo fell in love with a girl called Sarita. Now, in Sarita's family, she had a younger sister And everyone looked in awe at the younger sister. Um, 
she was confident, she was beautiful, she was uh, everything that people tended to want. Um, but Sarita herself uh, was considered kind of plain. Uh, she was shy and hunched over. She was the kind of girl who was kind of afraid of her own shadow. And most people thought, well, Sarita's sister, probably a three cow, possibly even a four cow girl. Um, but Sarita, um, more likely not get married or, or, or one cow. So it's a little bit harsh, it's a little bit difficult, but just bear with me. Johnny uh, went to Sarita's parents to, you know, bargain on the dowry price for Sarita. After clearing up the confusion that it wasn't actually the younger sister he was after, about Sarita, uh, they began the negotiation. And Sarita's father uh, went in boldly and he asked for three cows, hoping that after the discussion he'd be able to settle for at least one cow. And Johnny said... Three cows. Three cows is a considerable price for a dowry price for a wife. But for my Sarita, I will pay ten cows and no less. Sarita's family are, are shocked and, and happy that Johnny's valued her so highly. And so they agreed right away. And before he could change his mind, they got them married and, and off she went with her new husband. Now... Because she was so valuable to Johnny, Sarita's opinion of herself changed. She became a new woman. She became confident in herself because she knew she was valued. She carried herself with grace and a calm confidence and projected a kind of regal beauty. And she'd never really seemed to possess that before. This was all because she was loved and valued by her husband. A little while later, when someone from her island came and visited, um, they stopped by the house and, and started chatting with Johnny. And when Sarita entered the room, carrying herself with this graceful ease and elegance, uh, this stunning, um, stunned visitor sort of looked and went, I don't recognise her. He didn't recognise her as the shy, plain, fearful, hunched-over girl from earlier. She had a confident beauty to her. Now, when Sarita left the room, the stunned visitor asked what had happened. And Johnny explained, well, what woman would ever feel truly beautiful if she believed she was only worth one or two cows to her husband? No, we are as beautiful as we're told we are. And a woman who is told she is worth ten cows will become a ten-cow wife. (laughs) So, yes... It's a a strange story to our Western ears. It's hard to hear about a woman or anyone being bought or sold. Um, It's hard to hear about people being valued for their looks and compared to each other in that way. But let me explain. Moral influence proponents say that we are like Sarita. When we look at the cross and see how much Jesus loves us, that he gave his life for us, With his abundant love overflowing, he gave his life for us. Then we see this incredible love that is able to transform us. 
Even if we are like one of his accusers who's standing there and mocking him or, or one of the soldiers who's actually literally crucifying him, he loves you so much. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus in no way condemns us for not loving him, but shows the deepest, most loving love towards us. And just seeing that melts our hearts. Our hearts soften towards him. And we begin to see that somehow in God's economy, we are worth it. So we might say with scripture that he died for the world. And that's absolutely true. But this might help us to own it more, make it more personal to ourselves. And we can say, he died for me. For me. And wow, God thinks I'm worth that much. I really must be valuable to God. So do you know, deep in your heart, in your soul, in your mind... Deep in every cell, every atom of your body, with everything that makes you you, do you know that God loves you enough to die for you? That's incredible love. And then as we begin to value ourselves in that way, our confidence grows. Our moral and godly beauty grows. As we begin to see our true worth. And our response to this incredible love of God for us is to love God in return and to love our neighbours. One of the first proponents of the moral influence theory said it like this. He said, The manifestation of God's love to us in Christ awakens an answering love in us. The manifestation of God's love to us in Christ awakens an answering love in us. And they would say that it's, it's more than just the example of Jesus. Something else takes place in us as we see Jesus' incredible love giving himself for us. And this spirit in us comes alive. This, our deeper sense, our, our deeper self comes alive and responds to God with love. There's a fantastic verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we behold him, as we fix our eyes on him, as we contemplate him and enjoy him, we are transformed to be more like him. The... Paul Com and Trio have a great song called The Sun, the Moon and the Stars. And it says, I want to be the moon because it reflects the sun. I don't want to be a star and shine on everyone. When we fix our eyes on the sun, not that one, S-O-N, then we are like the moon. We reflect him into the world. And we get transformed to be more like him. Now, the world sort of recognises a very similar thing. Uh, Sociologists talk about the looking glass self, where you become what the most important person in your life thinks of you. The looking glass self, where you become 
what the most important person in your life thinks of you. Imagine if Jesus was the most important person in your life. How differently would you treat others? They're not competition for you. They're other people who Jesus loves and who he gave his life for. So other people are to be loved in the way that Jesus loved you. And so a self-sacrificial love is aspired to. And even if it's costly to us, we see that it is worth forgiving others. It is worth doing all that we can to serve and love others because then we're more like the Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. The moral influence atonement theory brings light to one perspective on what Jesus has done for us. It helps us to see how incredibly highly Jesus values us. As we observe his sacrifice, that value and love inspires us and draws us into a new dignity, new confidence and boldness to love like he loved and even to be willing to sacrifice our time, our energy, our resources for the sake of loving others and making the world a better place. Sometimes in evangelical church circles, we might stereotypically grab the penal substitutionary atonement theory and say, right, well, Christianity is all about saving souls. So it, it doesn't matter too much about, you know, uh, poverty and sickness and suffering. As long as, as long as we help to save their souls, that's all good. But there is a fuller picture. Like in the book of James, we read that faith without works is dead. God actually wants us not just to be interested in saving souls, but to live in Jesus' way of love. The moral influence theory of atonement helps to remind us that Jesus didn't just teach kind of the, the two ways to live. You're either on your way to hell or you do an about face and turn back to God. Repent of your sins and you're saved. And actually gives the fuller picture that Jesus spent 33 years living on earth, loving people. He spent three years or so in ministry, loving people, showing them a better way, healing, caring, loving. And that's a big part of the point of our passage today. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. The example of leaders in Jesus' time was of the rulers of the Gentiles lording it over their subjects and their high officials exercising their authority over them. But Jesus said, not so with you. It was a completely accepted fact in that culture that those with power would wield their power and others would be squashed beneath them. But it is not so with us. We are about following Jesus in a Jesus-type way. He leads us not just down the correct road, but the way we walk down that road is his way of sacrificial love, love for God and neighbour. And so Jesus sums it up in Mark 10, 45. He says that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that example of service and love is the example that we follow in our lives. 
when Jesus came, he didn't just come to save our souls, to deliver us from our problems and take us to our eternal home. He came to show the love of God in his healing, his miracles, his teaching, cross and resurrection. When he healed people, he really cared for them. He didn't do miracles to show off that he is God and then leave it at that. He truly cared for the people he healed. He cared for people afflicted by demons, death and disease. And Jesus' life of love is the example for us to imitate. See, life is not all about our final destination. Jesus didn't come just to take our souls to heaven, but to transform the world into a better place. Now, I can't find any scholars today who find that the moral influence theory of atonement is sufficient for them. No one holds exclusively to that theory. If we appreciate the moral influence theory alongside of penal substitutionary atonement and other theories of atonement, then our vision of Jesus will be magnified and we'll live as more mature, well-rounded Christians. And so today's theory says that Jesus giving his life for us on the cross as well as his life, his teaching, his miracles and healing, were an example for us to follow. His kind of abundant love is captivating and is powerful. It can transform the way that we deal with people and things and situations in our lives. And then we will lead more Jesus-shaped lives, loving God and our neighbour in practical ways, just like Jesus did. Let me lead us in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we are in awe of a God who would give his life to save us. When we look at you and what you've done for us, we're filled with wonder and gratitude. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit that we can see you more clearly and give our lives to your cause, reflecting your love and truth into the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.